I'm, I'm trying to get back into the swing of things, but we were on the East Coast the last couple weeks, and, and I don't know. I'm, I feel like I should be, be able to get up really early because, you know, I kind of started to acclimate to the time zone. But everything still is really weird. Like this morning, it's like I'm totally out of it. I like, I like take my toothpaste and I started putting it on my razor. <laughs> you ever just, yeah, having a hard time getting in, in the swing of things. So if you were here last week for Father's Day, I just want you to know that, that I am the one who loves you so much that gave you squirt guns. Okay, I just want you. Anybody enjoy those? My stepdad gave it to my mom who came over last week and decided she was going to squirt everybody with it because she loved it so much. And I'm like, that is not for you, woman. It's for the man. But really, yeah, whatever. So you're welcome. Hope you enjoyed them. I got a basket full in my office, and I'm going to shoot you all with them at some point because people think that's funny to shoot me. Um, so if you were here last week, you learned that uh, Trevor uh, Carpenter passed away. And uh, so what we're doing is, is tomorrow his mom and his sister are doing a memorial service down in Camarillo. It's at 3 p.m. You can go to that if you want to. Element is actually going to do one as well. It's going to be one week from today. It's going to be in my backyard. So it's going to be, you know, low-key and relaxed and stuff like that. And I need to give you a heads up about it. Um, Trevor is a guy who loved beer. All right? And you're like, ah, beer. Well, you're a weirdo, okay? Um, so... Love and what he would do while while he had uh, leukemia is he couldn't he couldn't drink anything for like the last three and a half years. But he would buy these barrel aged stouts and beers and he would and he would save them. And so in his closet there's like twenty or twenty five of these things. And so as part of what we're going to do at the end is we are going to drink all of Trevor's beer, <laughs> like the Lord has decreed. <laughs> So if, if you are someone who has a problem or issue with alcohol, that's okay. You can still come. You don't have to drink. Okay, but I'm just, I just want to give a heads up of that's kind of be part of it as well. Uh, you're going to get a four-ounce cup, all right? You're not going to be like, yeah, I'll take that. You know, it's not how it works, okay? So you get a four-ounce cup, and you'll get to taste it and things like that. But next, uh, next Sunday, 1.30, 1.30, we'll, we'll have directions on the communion tables around the room so you can show up for that. Uh, you will be instructed to bring a lawn chair. We'll, we're going to put up the covering over the entire yard so that there, there's shade, but uh, you need to bring a lawn chair to sit down. We're also going uh, to have uh, Dodger dogs because he was like a Dodger fan, so we're going to have Dodger hot dogs. We're not trying to feed you all. Right, but just get the feel of it. There are a couple of card games we're going to have you guys play together, just all in kind of remembrance of that. And guys, seriously, if you knew Trevor, uh, some of you did, Trevor was a pain in the butt at times. Right? Anybody not want to hide him on Facebook half the time? Right, if he's your friend? Right? You get it, right? But this is the beauty that it is God who rescues and redeems and saves. And God takes knuckleheads like Trevor and like all of us, and he can redeem and save us. So if you would like to, next week, uh, we're going to have that memorial at 1.30. Uh, I think that's it. So welcome to Element. If you're new, you're like, what, what is this beer thing? Sorry. Uh, there are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on all the communion tables throughout the room. They look like this. On the inside, you'll get some notes that go a little bit deeper into what we're talking about. Ask some questions go deeper as well. If you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. Uh, click on More and then Events in Uversion. And by, we'll come up by GPS in your smartphone. You get sermon notes, verses, questions, announcements, everything that goes with today's message. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's Word?
This is Mark chapter 9, verse 41. And it says, Jesus says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us what it means to be a people who trust you, who understand that redemption and grace and hope can be bestowed in all of our lives, but in that we are a people who are to live and bring you great glory as we live in your great joy. Teach us to live out your call in this world to take out the good news of the gospel wherever we go. Amen. Have a seat. Okay, so we are doing this series. That's, it's really a continuation of a series we started last year called What in the World? And what I did is I, I came to the scriptures and I thought there's a bunch of things that were like, what in the world is that there for? And I thought if I said what in the world, you might think what in the world. So we answered 10 what in the world questions that I came up with at the end of last year to help you better understand your Bible. And during that, I asked you to write down your own what in the world questions. And so we've hit this series. Now we're answering all the questions that you guys have asked us. It's going to take us all all the way through August, and today is kind of a doozy, even more so than I would say almost the one I did three weeks ago, but this is today's question. It starts like this. What is the deal with Lot's daughter sleeping with him? Now, just to give you a heads up, Lot is not someone who attends Element, okay? <laughs> just, just in case you were worried, right? Lot is a guy from the Old Testament, okay? So, what is the deal with Lot's daughter sleeping with him? As an abused daughter, I wonder why God would allow that in the Bible. Nothing else is said like it's no big deal. This gives weak-minded fathers the ability to think it is okay. And so the first thing I would like to say is that if this is you and this has happened to you or you are the one that wrote the question, it, this breaks my heart. I think it breaks the heart of God. I think it breaks anybody's heart just hearing this question. And I know that your question comes out of a place of pain, but if I could be so bold as to encourage you to check out and sign up for one of our redemption groups. Uh, it's a great place to begin to walk through this hurt and pain. We would love to show you how Jesus can walk with you through your past and make your future one of glorious redemption in the person of Jesus Christ. What has happened to you is sin. It is evil. It is terrible. And it is nowhere condoned in the Bible. I'm going to try and show you all of that today. So if you would, open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 19. And then keep your place there and flip over to Genesis 13. And this is where the story is found where Lot sleeps with uh, his daughter. It's actually daughters. It's two of them and not just one. And when we hit the book of Ruth in September, I'm going to recount this as well because it's kind of the background for the book of Ruth. But so I'm going to take a little different tact at this today than I will when we hit the book of Ruth so you don't get the same sermon like within two months of each other because I know how you hate that. You probably don't remember what I said three weeks ago, so it really doesn't matter. So I'm going to show you all this as we go through this. And I will tell you a couple things up front as we begin. First off, I harbor a secret place in my heart that I want every child molester to die a horrible death. I, I have a hard time thinking about or praying about redemption for anyone like that. I think that's probably a deficiency in my character. I have actually prayed about it. I've talked to other people about it. But I personally had to stop watching this show called Law and Order SVU because I would go to bed at night and think of ways that I could like take these people out and not get caught. Okay, So, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm a horrible person. Okay, But secondly in that... I know it's also usually at a person's lowest in their life when they finally give up their self-centered rights and they truly begin to let Jesus come in and change them. It happens to a guy named Judah in the Old Testament in Genesis. It happens in the middle of King David's life. It happens at the end of King Solomon's life. It happens to a guy named Paul who becomes one of the greatest apostles in the early church. And it might have even happened to this guy named Lot. So let me give you some background on Lot and his situation. 
Uh, I think Lot's name is very appropriate because Lot was always a lot of trouble. Lot is Abraham's nephew. Uh, Abraham is the patriarch of the Jewish and Christian face. Abraham loved Lot. He served Lot. He tried to model the way of God for Lot so Lot wouldn't know how to serve and love others around him to be a blessing like God called Abraham to be. When you get to Genesis chapter 13, Abraham has messed up in his life. Uh, in, in Genesis 12, he tried to give his wife away by lying and saying she was his sister. It was not a good situation, but we see Abraham do is he will be honest about his sin and repent. So Genesis 13 verse 1. So Abraham went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him into the Negev. So I want to give you a background on who Lot is before we get to the point of this sin with his daughters. And when it says here, and Lot with him, the text puts him last in the list. And it's there to show you that Lot is becoming an irritation. He's a tagalong, and you'll see that as some of these verses go through. Verse 2, now Abraham was very rich in livestock and silver and gold. A lot of this is ill-gotten wealth that he got in Genesis from the last chapter. And so it's to show you that you don't forget that it's God is still the one who saves and redeems. It's not our works. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai to the place where he made an altar at uh, made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. So what this is supposed to show you is Abraham's repentance. He's sorry for what he did. Not sorry enough to give back all the loot that he got in, in Egypt, but, but he's sorry. And and this sin in his life costs him the respect of his wife, many of the people who follow him. But what Abraham does, which you will never see Lot do, is Abraham, you see, retraces his steps of all the places he went wrong. He retraces those to go back where he was in the first place, where God actually told him to be. Abraham becomes an example because he names his own sin and he repents of it publicly so people see it. So he's becoming an example. Verse 5, And Lot, who went with Abram, again tagging along, also had flocks and herds and tents, though not silver and gold like Abram, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. So you got so much stuff, the land can't support both of them. There's not enough water or pasturage. And there was a a strife between the herdsmen of of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. And what also tells you that sometimes when God blesses you with like lots of cool stuff, sometimes it also means you get a lot of work. Like, uh, I, have a, I have a nice house, okay? My wife and I bought that house at the bottom of the market. It was trashed. We bought it cheaper than they were selling condos for down the street. We've been working on that thing for five years. I am my own gardener. I am my own fix-it man. Unless I mess it up too much, then I call Pete Newman to come and fix it. You know, but... <laughs> but I'm the guy, and so we got this nice house, but it is, sometimes God blesses you and it becomes a lot of work. Some of you know this, if you start your own business and it starts to go well, it becomes a lot of work. So right now they have all of these things and it's becoming a lot of work. Verse 8. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. And so this is also letting you know what kind of guy that Lot is. Where do you think Lot got all this stuff? Abraham, exactly. That's where he got it. And so when there's strife between his people and Abraham's people, who should have been the one who went to try and set it straight first? Lot. 
but he doesn't. He doesn't. He, he's a guy who, who lives by sight and not by faith. Abraham's the guy who sees the conflict brewing in its initial stages and steps in to take care of it. Verse 8, Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me. The word strife there, it's the word meriva. And in the Hebrew, every other place it's used, it's used of people quarreling against their leader or grumbling against their leader. And this shows you the person that Lot is. Oh, how dare he, Abraham, have all that stuff? Oh, he doesn't give me enough. He doesn't do it. He, Abraham, and he's just stirring it up. He's like the guy he's stirring the pot. That's Lot. And it shows you the reason for the quarrels. It shows you the base ingratitude of Lot. Verse 9, Abraham says, Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go left. What Abraham says is, why don't we get along? Look in front of you, see what you like, and you go there and I'll take the other way. You can, you can have first choice. He lets Lot do this because he probably knows that Lot will get all bent out of shape like a snot-nosed brat unless he gives him the first choice. Know anybody like that? If you don't, it's probably you, okay? Just throwing that out there. But Abraham trusts God, God's sovereign, God's going to take care of it. Imagine your neighbor showed up to your door at your house and said, Hey, the boundary markers are wrong, your house is mine, thanks for paying the mortgage. Would you be like, oh, I trust God, it's okay. No! You'd be like, hold on, i got a shovel in the backyard. And you bring out and you'd thump him with it and then bury him in the backyard and be like, I don't know what happened to my neighbor, he just disappeared one day. That's what, No? Yeah, don't show up in my house and say that, okay? I'm just saying. That, that, that's how it works. Abraham is a guy. He's got a lot of faith. Verse 10. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. So he's like, oh, oh, there. Oh, pretty. It's like Eden. Now, if he thought it was that great, what should he have done? Hey, Abraham, that place looks the best. Do you want that? No, well, I was like, that's awesome. That's pretty. I'll take it. I'll take it. And then it says, this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Dun, dun, dun. That tells you what's coming, right? It's just right around the corner. Flaming heart road tars are going to come out of heaven and take everything out. Like, good choice, Lot. Because they didn't pray about it. That's why we need to pray before we go and, and do things. He thought he was getting eaten, and he's getting road tar from heaven. So, verse 11. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. East is symbolic in the scriptures in Genesis of moving further away from God. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, and this is eventually the promised land, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. And what you're meant to see here is Lot doesn't pray, he just goes. And this reminds us, we have to be people who are careful where we go. A place may look great, but it may not always be great. That guy or girl you want to date, they may look great, but they may not always be great. That new job or that new city. Sometimes you'll go to places and it could actually destroy your life. This place will destroy Lot and his family. And after Lot leaves, God essentially says to Abraham, thank me, thank God that we got rid of that guy. And because Abraham's life kind of moves on from this point as his last tie to his family is severed. This is about Lot though, not Abraham. But do you see the kind of person that Lot is so far? You kind of got it where this is going? Okay, so from here on, Lot moves from to Sodom and Gomorrah. There is a scene in Genesis 18 right before the story moves back to Lot where God says he's going to wipe Sodom and Gomorrah off of the map. Abraham pleads to God. He says, no, don't do that because he knows Lot lives there. And he eventually gets God to say that if God can find just ten righteous people in the city of Sodom, that he will spare the city. And Abraham's thinking, well, that's a good deal because Lot and his family live there, so hey, you know, there's probably close to ten. He doesn't realize that Lot and his family are part of the problem. 
And so what God does is he will send two angels into the city so that they can walk through the city. Because in a courtroom, in order to convict somebody, you had to have two witnesses. So God sends two angels. It shows that God doesn't just jump to conclusions, that God is always trustworthy, unlike us. So open to Genesis 19. The angels arrive at Sodom, and Lot is sitting at the gateway to the city. Sitting at the gateway means you are either a politician or a well-known merchant in the city. You have affluence in the city. At the, at the city gate, guards would stop you, and they would ask you all sorts of questions. It's like when you got to get on the airplane to go somewhere. Take off your shoes, take off your pants, stand there in their underwear, answer all these stupid questions. Welcome to the city of Sodom. That's kind of how that works. But the person who gets to sit there and ask you all those questions, they are the person who really kind of runs part of the city. So that's Lot. It shows you Lot is a full-blown sodomite at this point. He is affluent. He's a resident. He shapes the city. And so Lot doesn't recognize these people as angels. He thinks that they're just merchants. So he goes out to greet them. Uh, Verse 2 of chapter 19. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. There's no hotels at this point, so it's just hospitality. Invite people in. The first people get to meet merchants and bring them into their house. Well, you get to establish ties and they get to trade with you, so it makes you more money. And spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, no, we will spend the night in the town square. Now, Lot knows what happens in the town square at night, so he presses them, okay? But he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. Now, here's where the story goes from bad to worse. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, and Moses is here emphasizing everyone in the city. It's not a city with a few bad guys. They were all bad guys. Could have been upwards of a thousand people. The men of Sodom, both young and old, and that's very sad because Old refers to fathers and grandfathers, but the word young in Hebrew can refer to little boys as little as three, four, and five years old. Okay, Both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. Why did they surround the house? And they called the lot. Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Know them is the biblical euphemism for sex. Bring them out so we can have sex with them. Now, we're getting to the point of Lot's daughters committing incest with him, but it's important to see the culture that they are raised in, their background of this. So here's the question, okay? Where does a little boy learn that it is okay in the middle of the night to go knock on a stranger's house and demand to have sex? They're being discipled. That's what's happening. This is an incestuous society where pedophilia must run rampant. Five-year-old boys don't think it's okay to rape strangers unless something grievous has happened to them in their life. Young boys do not learn to have sex with old men unless old men are abusing them. It's happening even in our culture today. Uh, Today they're saying that statistically those under 25 years of age, one-third of them have been abused in some way. Whether it's physically, sexually, or mentally, they've been abused in some way. Experts are now calling the rising generation sexually disturbed and aggressive. It is sad. I think God grieves for our society as he grieved for this one. In this society, dads and kids don't go out to ball games and to play catch. They go out for a gang rape. How far is this society gone? Verse 6, Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him. So he goes to the front of his house and shuts the door and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. So Lot calls it wicked, which it is. But it's interesting if you read through the entire text, this is probably one of the first times that Lot has ever said something like that to anybody. And they're like, what, now you're going to judge us? Now what are you doing? And what's Lot's plan to stop this? It says this. He says, behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. So they're virgins, teenagers. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Is that troubling to anybody but me? 
Yes, that should be very troubling to, to all of you. Here, perverts, rape my daughters. And in case you're wondering, this is not condoned in the Bible. Okay, It is not condoned. It's showing you how far sin can dig itself into people's lives and hearts, and they do not even see it. He says, only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. Now, in this culture, you are supposed to keep people safe who came under the shelter of your roof. But this is also probably Abraham, or this is probably Lot thinking, these are merchants. I want to make sure my business ventures stay open. That's probably part of it as well. And the problem here is not just that, that Lot lives in Sodom. It's that there is a lot of Sodom in Lot. A lot of our problem today is not just the world that we live in. It's that there's a lot of the world that we live in in us. And it begins to affect how we see things around us and how we process information and the things that we think are okay and not okay. Guys, I will tell you, if I had a daughter and you tried this, you'd be dead. That's just how it would work right there. I'd ask for forgiveness later, but you'd be gone, okay? Second Peter tells you eventually Lot believes and, and again, my heart struggles with that a little bit in this. But I think too many people will read the first half of the book of Genesis, or half Genesis 19 and say, oh, look at those wicked sodomites. But I think it's also there to tell us, look at those evil people who also claim the name of God as well. I mean, Lot sins just like everyone else. Lot is willing to put his daughters in harm's way to save his own butt. Verse 9. But they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. The NIV says it like this. Get out of our way, they replied, and they said, this fellow came here as an alien, and now he wants to play the judge. Again, that means that Lot has been living there a long time. He has not been a good evangelist in any of this. Maybe like when you don't live for Christ in front of your friends, and they keep doing crazy stuff, and never say anything. One day, maybe it's just a little too far, and you're like, hey, you know, and there again, are like, oh, now you're going to kind of judge me in this. They say, we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break down the door. So they back him up against his door and they say, you got two options. Either we rape the man or we rape you and rape the men. Now, Lot is again a lot like us. He gets caught up in the situation and what you never see him do is stop and pray like a lot of us. When we have things that are crumbling around us, we seem to never stop and pray. We don't ask God to involve himself. But God here will involve himself. Very intense story. The angels, they grab Lot, they pull him back inside, and they blind everybody outside the house trying to get in. And the crazy thing is, while they're all blinded, it says they're still stumbling around trying to find the door to the house so they can get in. I mean, can you imagine going blind in a crowd of rapists? Someone's going to get punched in the face. And other places, by the way. Okay, it's Seriously. The angels tell Lot, you need to pack. We're going to destroy this city. You need to get out of town. We're going to destroy it. Verse 16 starts saying that the Lot hesitated. The ESV says he lingered. He lingered. God's bringing judgment. And Lot's like, but I want to get a good breakfast before I have to flee. Just give me a few minutes. It's like, come on, dude. What are you doing? They tell Lot, you need to flee to the mountains. And what does Lot say? Verse 18, Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near, near enough to flee to, and it's a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. So what they say is, run to the mountains. Why to the mountains? No, that's where Abraham lives. Go back to the believer your life is a mess. Get it squared up, things straight before you set out again. Reset, refocus, understand what God's doing in your life. 
And he's like, no, 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 no. I, I know, I know I'm living in Vegas. It's terrible. You're going to destroy it. But hey, there's Reno. It's smaller. I can just, it's not as bad, right? I can just go there. And then finally the angels are like, just go, just go. So they start to, to run. His wife's like, but I love Sodom. Boom, Rotar. She perishes. Again, very intense story in this. And so Lot runs to this town called Zoar, but they don't want him there because they, they're like, well, judgment's going to come upon us because you're here. Verse nine, uh, chapter 19, verse 30. Now Lot went up out of Zoar and lived in the hills. This is not the hills where Abraham is. This is, he doesn't go to Abraham in the hills with his two daughters. So he becomes a hillbilly for he was afraid to live in Zoar. So he lived in the cave with his two daughters. He goes to Sodom. Because it looks so lucrative, and now he's broke and moves into a cave. A lot of people only pick a place to live because it looks financially good. I'll tell you, if your wife gets hit by flaming goop out of heaven, it is not a good place to go. If your daughter's turned into perverts, it is not a good place to go. It's too high a cost. We must be people who ask, where will you raise your family? Where will you raise your family? Lot could have done better if he would have just evangelized, but he doesn't, and not even his own family believes. What you see is he goes from Abraham to Sodom to Zoar to a cave. Guys, it matters where we live. It matters what church you attend. It matters who you surround yourself with. The next part for me, where this is where the question comes out of, it kind of almost seems a natural progression for Lot's life. Verse 31. And the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on the earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. So they're talking about sex and babies and not marriage. It's very CW network. Okay, Why are they like this? Why are they like this? Because they grew up in a corrupted society where their dad did nothing to encourage a healthy sexual identity. What did the dad just do? He just offered to give his daughters away to a rape mob. That is not a dad who values his daughters and holds them in high esteem. These women even had fiancés in this group outside of Lot's house trying to get in. I think that's another mistake that the dad made. No church, no God, no good influence. He lets them get engaged to godless perverts who laugh in his face when he tries to tell them about the coming judgment. Parents, if you are a parent, let me ask you a question. Who will your kids marry? Who will your kids marry? Lot did not put his daughters in a place where there are decent men to marry. Doesn't take them to church, introduce them to Abraham's church. They reach marrying age, they have a desire, no one around, and they're going to have sex with their father. It is sick and it is disturbing. I've got to tell you, I've, I've got a dream. I would love for people to want to have their kids here because of the kind of kids that your kids are, because of how you raise them. They'd be like, I want my kids there because I want my kids to, to grow up knowing these other ones and marry a kid like, like that. This is why we do baby dedications at Element. When we do baby dedications, it's not just about the baby de- being dedicated. It's that we dedicate our lives to the living and knowing of Jesus in front of these little ones so they would grow up knowing what it means to love and to serve and to follow Jesus. That's why we do baby dedications where we, we love God more than we love ourselves. And if you are going to be a parent, you've got to love a kid enough to be involved in their life and think about who they're going to marry, how they can be in a place where there are godly people and see godly marriages and they will want a marriage like that. I mean, this isn't an excuse. The daughters are not victims in all of this, but they, they do make their own decisions. But what you will see is that Lot is held majorly responsible for this. You know how we know that? Because Lot's name is listed and their name isn't. 
So it puts this on Lot's shoulders. He should have created a world where his kids could be raised, where they could be safe, where they could see the truth. I'm not talking about naivety. I'm talking about innocence. Naivety is where you try and protect them from everything and don't know anything that's going on. Innocence is where they know what's going on. You talk to them about it, but they're innocent in the midst of it. This is important to God. Your kids are going to live in the world that you make. The spouse that you choose, the house that you buy, they will eat the food that you bring home, whether it's from something with golden arches or it's from something with vegetables. They're going to eat what you bring home. They will ride in the car that you provide. If you have kids, you probably need something bigger than a two-seater. Okay? They They will have as they grow up the friends that you permit. It is important for us to see what God is calling us to as a redeemed people. Verse 32. So the older one says, Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Is Lot responsible for that? Yes. Lot is responsible for that. He is an imbecile who is drinking with his teenage daughters. Some kids think they got the cool dad who buys booze for them. That dad is a fool. Lot is partying with his teenage daughters. Verse 34. The next day the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Like, that's a good thing. Everyone should have been like, wasn't there a plan B? You know, what's the deal? Let us make him drink wine tonight also. It's like they live in a cave. But they brought the liquor cabinet. This is a profoundly dysfunctional family. Like, I don't have a couch, but I got booze. Woo! Seriously. Then you go in and lie with him that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger one arose and lay with him. And he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. The question that's asked is, does the Bible condone this? No. The scriptures show you this so you would understand it is deplorable. And if you hear this message or you read these verses and you're not horrified, it means there's something wrong with us. Just like our society, Lot's daughters disconnected marriage, sex, and children. This is the result. Verse 36. Thus both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The last portrait of Lot in the book of Genesis is him sitting there holding his son slash grandson. That's the picture. What's, what's the practicalness in, in this? Again, the question was, I wonder why God would allow that in the Bible. I think it's in the Bible so we would take seriously God's call to be an example to our children. What example do you set for your kids? If you don't have kids, there are plenty of kids around here who will see you. What example do you set for those kids? Yes, the daughters were nasty. I, I got that. But you look at the dad. He marries an unbeliever. He lives in a godless town. He forsook all relationship with anybody who believed in God, and he's getting drunk with his teenage daughters. And again, some guys think that's cool, and I think it's stupid. Lot's daughters saw themselves as sex objects. They got that in Sodom. Guys, I will tell you, if you have kids and you are looking at porn, you're teaching your kids that women are sex objects. That's what you're teaching them. You have to knock it off. You have to. It's like, it's like porn is like Satan's nuclear missile that just like devastates every single dude. You've got to be careful with this stuff because it will destroy you and make your daughters see themselves as less than they are. See, the daughters didn't get an understanding of being wives and moms or godly women. It's why the story is here. To get our attention. Hey! Hey! That's why it's there. 
the TV shows that you watch or let your kids watch, the movies you watch or let your kids watch, the magazines, the books, the websites, it all matters. It all matters. What are we doing? How are we showing our kids what truth really is? How are we living differently? It's there to wake us up. Where does our hope come from in anything like this? Something as awful as this? Well, if you keep reading your Bible, you'll get to this little book called Ruth. Again, we'll, we'll study that at the end of the summer as we start uh, September. And you see that one of the kids that come out of this relationship is this kid named Moab. He becomes the, the founder of these people called the Moabites. The Israelites will hate the Moabites. The Moabites will hate the Israelites. And yet eventually... An Israelite named Boaz will fall in love and marry a Moabite named Ruth. And out of that union will come one of the ancestors of Jesus. And what this tells you is that God doesn't condone sin that has been done to us or that we've done to others, but God can always redeem it. What it tells you is that history does not decide, it only describes that your history and what you've done or what has been done to you or where you've been or who you've been involved with, your history describes your past, but it does not have to decide your present or your future. Too many people let their past determine the entire rest of their lives. Guys, the rest of your lives is not set. With Jesus, all things can become new. It can all be renewed. And if you look at our society today, are we any better than Sodom? I don't think so. I think we have more ways to sin than Sodom did. But, but do we have hope? Of course we have hope. Why? Because we're still here. Road tar out of heaven has not hit us yet. We're, we're okay. So, and I hope what happens for us as a nation is we don't live like Sodom. We become like this place called Nineveh, where this prophet named Jonah walks into this godless city and says, God says repent. Five words in Hebrew was his sermon. And the entire city turns and they start to follow God and they repent. I hope that for us. But I think for us, we need to honestly assess our lives and see where where we're part of the problem. And see that the solution and the Savior and our Redeemer is always Jesus. Let us no longer be a people who simply consume our culture and add to the brokenness of it. But let us be those who speak God's light and truth and hope and grace into this darkness. Let us be different in how we live and how we love because He is the one who has lived and loved us first. Guys, I'll tell you, you you shouldn't just not look at porn because it destroys you. You shouldn't look at it because it adds to the problem. It adds to the problem. While we're here in this place, in this world, we love and serve God and we love and serve people. We've got to be praying for and loving one another and showing people around us Jesus and what he has done. That he has taken our broken lives and our messed upness and he has renewed us and saved us and brought us back in again. I think all of us need to make a commitment to run from our sin and turn to Jesus and commit our lives to living in such a way that it honors Him and not always running the direction that we have always been going. We need to not be a lot. A lot. We don't need to let our history determine the rest of our lives. We look at Jesus and understand His atoning work, that He is the Savior of our souls, that He can take anything that's been done to us or that we've done to others. And He can redeem us. And give us a future that's not the same as our past. This is why we talk about this thing called communion every week. It reminds us of what Jesus did to rescue and save us. It's why you break that cracker like his body that was broken for us. It's why you dip it in the wine or the grape juice. It reminds you of his blood that was shed for you and me. Because we are a people who were lost. And there's no way for us to get our lives back to where they were supposed to be. So Jesus comes. And through his death and resurrection, he takes away our sin, 
restores us back into relationship with God so our lives can be renewed, that we can actually live how he calls us to live, that we can actually be different in this world because he rescues and he saves and he redeems and that's who he is and that's what he does. This is why we say the gospel makes all things new, including us. Everything about us can be renewed. And again, I would encourage you, if, if you have something like this that's happened in your life, that you would sign up for one of the redemption groups because they'd love to help you to understand that in light of what Jesus has done and what he can continue to do. The band's going to come up. As they do, we invite you to take communion. As I said, there'll be some deacons and elders in the back. And if you guys need prayer, if you have been in a place in your life where maybe something horrible has happened to you and you'd like someone to pray for you about that because it's, it's defining your entire life, they'd love to be able to pray with you about that. If you're in a place where you have uh, hurt somebody else and you don't know how to make that right, well, they'd love to pray with you about that. You okay? <laughs> I'll get it. <laughs> he's such a trooper uh, if, if you have anything in your life that you need prayer they'd love to pray with you about those things because God is so much better than we can ever imagine and sometimes those things in our life they, they just hold us in chains and bondage but we are told that Jesus comes to break the chains to set us free so that we can live free and renew and redeem lives. There's offering boxes in the sidewall in the back. We don't uh, pass a plate because it's a response to what God is doing in our hearts and in our lives. So you actually have to get up and do that. Uh, there's food in the back. Uh, more importantly, there's food outside. I told first service, it'd be great because they're, they're only making 150 sandwiches. And I said, it'd be great if you guys bought all 150 and everybody else was like, what? So maybe you guys do that in third service. is like, what? Grab something to eat. And the reason we always like to have food here is so that you guys can, can meet one another and talk to one another and maybe throughout the week, this week, sit down with some of the sermon notes and just start asking and talking about some of the questions that are in there. Go a little bit deeper. You know, where are the places where maybe your heart has become hard to sin? Where are the places in your life where maybe too much of the culture has gotten into your life and that has determined how not only how you see the world around you, but how you see the gospel? And then what are the ways where God wants to reset that focus so you see the truth of Jesus Christ as it truly and really is? And that we begin to live lives that honor and worship him in all that we do, that we do live differently. Not because it makes, us God, makes God love us more, but because God already does love us and God has redeemed us and he's coming to rescue us. So our lives become different because we want to honor him with all that we are. With all that we are. Because God is good all the time. God is good to his people, and he has been good to us. Let's be a people who love him back. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would teach us to be those who trust you more than we trust ourselves. And when things come into our lives that want to make us question you or your goodness or your grace, that make us want to try and redefine the gospel, so, so that it's centered upon us and not upon you, I ask that you would reveal that to us and convict us so we'd begin to live in the truth of who you are and what you've done. Father, quite honestly, all of us have things in our lives that have been done to us that we tend to want to focus on. And it determines how we see the world around us. We see it through this lens of our hurt and our pain. 
But I ask that today you'd begin the work of breaking those chains and pulling those lenses off so we begin to see the world as you call us to. That we would understand that the good news of the gospel is not just for the day that we die. It's for every single day that our lives today can be new and different and renewed. I also ask that you would teach us to see the places that we have hurt others around us. And that we would go and do what we can to make that as right as possible. That we would be your instruments of redemption in this world. That we would be the instruments in our Redeemer's hands to the world around us. That we would love you in how we serve others. That we would give grace to those around us and that in all things we would lift you up. Teach us to live lives that are different because we are a people who truly begin to love you back. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen.